Well, hey, good morning and welcome. Uh, again, we are continuing in this Acts series to the ends of the earth. If you got your Bibles, join me in Acts chapter 3. That's where we're going to start our time together in just a moment. But um, hey, I'm glad that you're here. I know it's a little rainy out, a little chilly out, but you showed up. If you're tuning in online, welcome. Um, and like Micah said, man, I hope that you're ready. Man, because I'm excited um, and just like what, what God is up to, right? And, and so we're going to dive into that. But um, before we get to Acts chapter 3 and you're flipping there, getting there on you version, uh, I want to share with you earlier this week, um, I, I shared a picture on social media. I shared just a moment. I do that from time to time, snippets of my life. And, um, and I shared this picture because uh, we had... Um, my wife and I, we were spending time cleaning the house, which seems like a never-ending task, right? And so we're, we're cleaning the house a little bit, and our youngest of three kids, Beckett, he's five, and he's cute as all get out, and he hollers from the kitchen, and he says, hey, Dad, I unloaded the dishwasher. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, and I'm, I'm continuing. I finish up. And a few minutes later, I walk into the kitchen to see that, yes, Beckett did indeed unload the dishwasher, right? He did get the dishes from the washer out of the washer. He took a step that direction. And, so, and I was just cracking up because, man, he's so cute, right? But, uh, but here's the thing. This reminded me of what we're studying here in the book of Acts, and this is how. And this is what 10 years of student ministry can do. It can take this and Jesus juke it into an illustration, right? And so, but, but this is, it made me think of this because, listen, this is like step one. This is the very beginning, right? One day, Beckett won't just unload the dishes, hopefully, right? He'll actually get them to where they need to be. And as we look at Acts, we look at the very beginning of the church, how the Holy Spirit is moving, and by the powerful preaching of God's word, we're at the very beginning stages and so, yes, eventually the dishes get to the cupboard, right? And that's where we're at, that it's pouring out, that it's overflowing, and we're seeing this at the very onset. And so that's what we're doing. We're diving in. I mean, the last couple of weeks, if you missed them, I encourage you to check them out online. And we've talked about the very beginning, Acts chapter 1, and then Acts chapter 2, and here we are in Acts chapter 3. And so we're going to dive right in. And it is chock full. I'm excited. So if you're with me, Acts 3, beginning with verse 1, it says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. All right, so the scene is set, right? We, we, we see what's kind of going on. It's late afternoon at the temple in Jerusalem, and, and some of you have actually been able to take trips. You've actually been there, and so you kind of, you imagine that some of you have seen pictures on Discovery Channels or something or, or, a, or a documentary or, or maybe The Chosen, and you're kind of like, you're, you're envisioning what's going on. Okay, so, so it's three in the afternoon. It's late afternoon, and according to Jewish reckoning, it would be the time for the evening sacrifices. It's the time to pray, and they measure that. It's the ninth hour, the time from sunrise, and so this is the time, but it's also the busiest time of the day. And so there's a beggar in his usual spot at a busy intersection asking for money. It's a scene that you might be well acquainted with. We see that. We see that right here in Hamburg. We see it downtown. In any urban city, you see a very similar scene. So you can recognize kind of what's going on. Peter and John are on their way to the temple. 
Verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. So note that. We'll get back to it. But he's got this expectation. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. That's Peter's response to this man. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. In verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. This isn't a VBS story. This is real life. This is an account that Luke, he details for us to see the miracles of the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the very first. This man, he, he, he looks up and he's expecting money and they reach out and they say, listen, listen, I, I see you. I want you to see us. And, and listen, I, I, silver or gold, I don't have what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. They take him by his hand and he, he becomes well, he's healed. And then verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God. So get this, get this, always two audiences. It's who they're encountering with, but it's also everyone who sees it. All these people, all these people, they saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Okay, so, so real quick, brief, brief recap. Think about what's happening. Peter and John, they're going to the temple. And they see a man sitting outside of the gate, and he's begging for what he thinks he needs. And they say, I don't have what you think you need, but I have what you need. In the name of Jesus, walk. They help him up. He's completely healed. And then, and then this guy, he, he's celebrating and he's using, notice he doesn't get up. He doesn't start wobbling. He doesn't need to like to crawl before. No, no, no. He's instantly healed by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And he stands up and he begins praising and he's doing jumping jacks in the name of Jesus. And he moves from outside the gate and follows them all the way through it. And we see this happening, and all these people, they, they're looking, and they, they recognize him, and they come running. They come running, and, and, and then Peter's response to the people is so fascinating. We'll get to that in just a moment, but, but I want to point out a few things first. This, this first one is this, that Jesus is not limited by our expectations, that Jesus is not limited by our expectations. You see, when the beggar looked up at Peter and John, he looked up with expectation. But for what? For money. For money because that's what he thought he needed, because that's what his experience had led him to believe. And some of you, that's it. What, what your experience has led you to believe is actually far less than what God has for you. Right? And so Jesus is not limited by our expectations. I mean, it was no mistake that this man positioned himself at the temple gate, right? Like he knew the spots to be, and it's similar to like, like, like a bell in a red bucket. 
with Salvation Army on it outside of a grocery store at Christmas time, right? That, that you try to capture people who have maybe generosity on their hearts and on their minds. And, and this is what this guy was doing. He positioned himself in a prime location to catch worshipers on their way to worship. They would come in droves at this time of day. It's brilliant, right? It made sense. But this interaction is unlike any he'd ever had. Because when Peter and John see this man, they make eye contact with him in a unique way. At least worth, worth pointing out that Luke, this physician, he's so detail-oriented, he wants us to understand that they look at him and they say, look at us. And Peter makes eye contact with him as he would have seen his Lord do so many times on the brink of a miracle. How Jesus would dignify those that he was about to heal And he would lean into this human connection and he would stoop down into the dirt and he would be with people who were broken and hurting. And Peter does a very similar thing. He looks at this man in the eye and he looks at him. He says, listen, what you think you need, I don't have. But what you really need, I give you. In the name of Jesus, walk. And and notice, this is so fascinating. Notice, Notice Peter doesn't just say, son, get up and walk as Jesus very likely would have done. No, rather in a clear recognition of whose power is being displayed, Peter calls on the name of Jesus because it's the power of the name of Jesus that counts. This is the X factor. We have to see this. This is the difference maker, and that's what can blow our expectations Away. That's what, what sees a safe play and raises it to a place of trust. But how often, church, hear me, how often do we bridle the power of the Holy Spirit because our expectations are too small? Like how often do we put a governor on the power of the Holy Spirit and he's ready to turn the fire hose on, but we settle for water balloons, right? Because we want control. We want to feel like like we know what's going on and we can disperse the power of the Holy Spirit and and how how much we think is necessary. Like we want to prescribe the dosage we feel we need. That's not the way God works. He's ready to pour out and that's what he's doing. And so again, Jesus is not limited by our expectations. Thank God, right? And in the same way, Jesus' followers are not limited by others' perceptions. Because again, there's two audiences here, and we have to see that, that the crowd's reaction, what do they do? They see this miracle take place. They see, they see the outcome, the fallout of it. This man who we come to find out, he's over 40 years old. And so they would pass by day after day, and many of them would have given money. Many of them would have heard his pleas. Many of them would have, would have maybe interacted with this guy. They, they recognized this guy, but they've never seen him walk. And when they see him walk, they come running. Do do you see that? Like, Like they see his current state, but here's the caveat, but he's known for his past. They recognized him as the crippled beggar who sat, but they're seeing this healed man walk. And listen, that may be your story too. That Jesus has healed you, he's rescued you, he's made you into a new creation, and your friends and family and coworkers, they see you walking with the Lord, but they only remember your old self, your old 
ways. They only remember you BC, like before Christ. They, they only remember that you used to be a crippled beggar because that's so etched into their minds that it's hard for them to see you any different. Like, like, and even if they see it, they still think of you that way. And so listen, listen, I want to encourage you. If that's you, you feel like, man, I've made these changes. God is good. But people in my circles, they only see what I used to be. Keep walking with the Lord. Keep going because some of you, you've set the bottle down that used to hold you captive, but those around you can't seem to believe that you're now actually sober. Keep stepping. Keep taking those steps. Maybe for you, you've made small changes in your diet toward a healthy lifestyle to honor God with your whole body, your whole self, but you still feel the cutting eyes and remarks of others. Keep walking. Keep going. Maybe you've settled down and you've committed to one woman or one man, and, and maybe that, that wasn't your story at one time, but now you're on a path of relational restoration, maybe with, with, with someone close to you or maybe with your children even, but there are doubters in your life, and they abound, and they're loud. Keep going. Keep leaning in. Don't, don't, don't be limited by others' perceptions of who you once were because in Christ you are a new creation. And he's invited you to keep following him because you see this once crippled but newfound CrossFit trainer. He doesn't allow the labels of his past to hinder living in the mercy of his present. You see, what he once was is no longer seen as a handicap, but as the avenue for God's healing power in his life. That, that he doesn't get well and just take off. No, he gets well and, and he leans into the one who made him well. He goes with Peter and John to go be with Jesus to take steps closer to him. I mean, think about this. His whole life, for decades and decades, day after day, rain, sleet, snow, whatever, probably not snow, but, but whatever it is, he's there day after day, and he's begging for what he thinks he needs, and one day he gets what he actually needs, and it's Jesus it's Jesus, and for the first time, he walks through the gate that he has set outside of. You know, theologian N.T. Wright says of that power that in this story, the power in the name of Jesus turned a disabled man who sat outside the temple into a worshiper who went all the way in. That he'd sat there, and he watched people walk by. And maybe, maybe he lost long ago the dream that he would be able to do that, but today it changed everything in the name of Jesus. And he walks through the gates for the first time, and as he did, all those around him begged for an explanation and come running, which, which when you think about it, this is so beautiful the way that God works, that, that sometimes your walking with the Lord may lead others running to hear your testimony. And that's what happens here. Like I'll put it this way, sometimes just seeing a gift in use can activate a gift in you. Like, like have you ever been encouraged by somebody's faith and it draws you in to Jesus? That's what's happening. People who, who may have not run in a long time, they see you walking and they're encouraged to use that same gift. And they're drawing closer to Jesus in this. But the healed man, he remains close to the healer. And even as a miracle recipient, he points to the one who made him well. He's amplifying Jesus. He doesn't distract. Rather, he stands as something of a gate holder now for others to come and see. And we read this, verse 12. When Peter saw this, he sees the commotion. He sees the crowd coming. He said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? 
Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? And he goes on and he details a bit and he continues verse 16. He says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. And then throughout the rest of this conversation, mixed in um, and following here, Peter goes on and he brilliantly adapts the gospel message to his Jewish audience. And this is brilliant. We can learn so much from this, that, that to be in the room, to read the room, to understand your audience whenever you're sharing your story. And that's what Peter does. He sees that this is a, a complete Jewish audience, and now he's going to make a case for Jesus as Messiah, but he's going to use, he's going to use like all these fulfilled prophecies, and then he starts to use well-versed and widely understood like Old Testament uh, uh, verses and quotes and passages that these people would, would recognize. And and we see him do this in Acts chapter 2, and he'll continue to do it. But he refers, he refers to, to greats of the Jewish faith. He talks about Joel and David and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Samuel. And we see him do this, but filled with the Holy Spirit, he preaches and he connects the story that this is the Messiah you've been waiting for. And we saw in Acts chapter 2 that, that his words had proved so effective that on that very first day, some 3,000 people placed their faith in Jesus. And now he has another opportunity, and people are coming, and they're running to see this man. They know him. They recognize him as the once crippled beggar. Now he's standing. You talk about an object lesson, right? This guy is standing there, and they're saying, hey, it is in the name of Jesus this man was healed. And he's using that, another 2,000 people here and respond to the gospel. And now, now the church is growing Over 5,000 people have responded. They're part of this early movement of hope in the name of Jesus. And as you can imagine, man, what began as a spark that then grew into a blaze and is now spreading like wildfire, it doesn't go unnoticed by the religious authorities, the very group that was behind the crucifixion of Christ. And so we find ourselves in Acts chapter 4 now, where Luke, he details the interactions between Peter and John and these, these prideful yet intimidated Sadducees, these religious leaders. You see, essentially, this coalition of a Roman-backed temple police force, they seized and arrested Peter and John. They see what's going on, and they seize and they arrest Peter and John. They keep them overnight, and then the next day, they trot them out before the council in this courtroom, and and they question them, verse 7 of chapter 4. Now, by what power or what name did you do this? And this, they're talking about this healing. Because we'll come to find out that, that this healed man, he is standing there. He is in the room. I doubt he has sat. Like he, He's like, dude, I'm, on, on I'm going to do a 30-hour walk, right? I'm going to find a, an order. I'm going to do something. But I, I doubt he has even sat yet. But he's in there. And so they're looking at him. They're like, we recognize him. The crippled beggar, he's standing here. By what power did you do this? And whose name did you do this? Which, which is kind of funny, right? Because they know. They know that this was part of the Jesus movement. They, they know, and so this wasn't really a rhetorical question, but it was a dangerous question. It was a dangerous question because it was kind of a test. I mean, think about it, that, that this Jesus, this Jesus that they'd just done this miracle in the name of, this Jesus was just murdered for the very claims these men are now making of him. 
And Jesus was willing to lay his life down. But this is the context that, that this Jesus was, was just seized and arrested for the very same, same thing. And so Peter and John, they're standing there and they're wading into dangerous waters here. But something is different. We read in verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the difference. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. So he's going to address them. And he does so quite respectfully. And he said, hey, all of you, I want you to hear me in this. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed. He said, I want to be very, very clear. If this is what we are being uh, like questioned about, if you're asking us how this crippled man was healed, if you're asking about the kindness that was expressed to him, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, anyone who can hear my voice or who hears the story, know this, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And so, so Peter Boldly filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands up. He says, it's the name of Jesus, but this Jesus is the one you crucified. But he didn't stay dead. Because by, by the power of God, he resurrected him. But we have to see this for a moment. Think that this is, this is Peter? This is Peter? I mean, just weeks earlier, when, when Jesus needed them, when Jesus is going to the cross, he looks around and Luke records in chapter 22, he makes eye contact with Peter, right after he denied even knowing his best friend. We have to see this. This is only weeks earlier. And Peter, this is the same guy. Denied knowing Jesus. But now Peter stands with all boldness, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and proclaims in the name of Jesus to all who can hear, including the very coalition behind that crucifixion, that Jesus, Jesus is the name. Above all names. I, I mean, we, we saw how this, this once crippled stood up, and now we're seeing how this once coward speaks out. And Peter would own that. He felt horrible about that, but, but, but Jesus restored him and forgave him and commissioned him. He said, hey, hey, if you love me, then feed my sheep. And that's what Peter is doing. Like a bold shepherd, he's standing and he's advocating in the name of Jesus. But what changed? What changed? The resurrection. Because the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. And so now, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter is able to boldly defend his faith. And I wonder, I wonder if just in this moment, some of you are familiar with the Gospels, but, but if Peter flashed back to that time when Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, he said, when you are brought before the synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Now, I wonder if in that moment, if Peter and some of the disciples who have heard those red letter words of Jesus, if they're reminded of that, like, it's happening. It's happening. And Peter's like, where's this boldness coming from? It's the Holy Spirit. These are the acts of the Holy Spirit. So listen, church, Peter is now yielding to the Holy Spirit. He, he's not in a place where he's being filled with like drawn out prayers or this emotional experience in the courtroom. No, the filling of the Spirit occurs when the believer walks in obedience to the Word and to the Spirit. That's what we're seeing. 
that yielding to the Holy Spirit unleashes his power in and through the believer. And that's what's happening here. I I mean, do you see this? That, That Peter just presented the gospel to the enemies of Christ in the same breath. He says, but you denied him. You, you killed the Messiah you were waiting for. And then he quotes Psalm 118, which would have been a passage that this entire courtroom could have recited together. But he doesn't give them a heads up. <laughs> he quotes Psalm 118. He says, but he, Jesus, is the stone you builders rejected, which became the capstone, which became the cornerstone. Peter quotes this this well-known passage, and he's saying, but you rejected him. You rejected him. You rejected the Messiah you've been waiting for. And and then he gets to this moment. And I imagine you could hear a pin drop in this courtroom, and he gets to this moment, and then he's going to share this big crescendo, what he's been building toward. And then he proclaims in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, one of the most powerful verses in all of scripture. Peter looks at these people and he says, listen, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Peter looks at these people, enemies of Christ, and he looks at them and he says, but listen, there is no other name worthy of praise, worthy of obedience, because only the name of Jesus is where salvation is found, that there is no other name. That's the name this man was healed by. It's the power of Jesus. And listen, church, we lift all kinds of names. Every single one of us, we lift all kinds of names. I lift names every single day, and you do too. And if we're not careful, the name can get lost in the shuffle of all of those names. For, for example, here are a few names that you may have lifted up this past week or month, this past year, or maybe even this past morning. But, but names, many of these are good names. But names like, like mom or dad or husband or wife or son or daughter or baby. Or names like grandma or grandpa or friend. And again, many of these are good names, good, good names. But when those names are elevated above the name, then that's at the root of our worship. And we've gotten the priorities out of whack because there's only one name above all other names. And so think about it. It's not just those names. There's other names we lift up too. Names, names even this past week, names like Martin Luther King Jr that we hold in high esteem are names like Billy Graham or the late Wayne Smith or or, or names like Ann Wilson or Lauren Daigle or Chris Tomlin or Lecrae or names like Taylor Swift, Luke Combs, Drake, Elton John or Johnny Cash. What about names like like Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk? Then we lift up names. We see this on a cycle, names like Bashir or McConnell or Trump or Biden, Fauci, even some of us this past year, Queen Elizabeth, but, but it doesn't just stop there. We lift up names like, like Meryl Streep and Chris Pratt and Dwayne Johnson. Lift up names like Joe Burrow or LeBron James or Michael Jordan or Jonathan India. What about names like, like Coach Cal or Oscar Shibwe or, or Mark Stoops or Will Levis? Or for me, names like Kirby Smart and Stetson Bennett. But, but, but listen, the reality is we all lift all kinds of names, but there is only one name 
above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord, that salvation is found in no one else, that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And while we can't completely detangle this mess that we live in, we, we can choose what name we hold the highest. That we can say, listen, I'm not going to be a megaphone for LeBron anymore. I'm not going to hold the name Taylor Swift above every other name because that name can't save, that name can't restore, that name can't rescue. I'm not going to lift up their banners higher than the name of Jesus anymore because you see, the world isn't dying to hear any of those names. Church, we have to see this, that, that the world is dying to hear the name that has the power to save that makes darkness tremble, the name of Jesus. There's no other name. And so when Peter boldly proclaimed that name, the religious leaders were taken aback. In verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who, was, who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They're kind of caught in, a, in between a rock and a hard place. They cannot deny the power of the name of Jesus, but they can't allow it to go on. Right? They, but they see this man who was healed in the name of Jesus, so they're like, what do we do? And, 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 and again, he's standing there. They recognize him as sitting. Now he's standing. And, and then Luke goes on to write. But since they couldn't find any fault in their actions, they essentially they kind of huddle up. And they're like, I got nothing. I, I, don't, I don't know. And, and so they kind of break the huddle and they go and they say, okay, listen, we're going to let you go. But you are forbidden to proclaim the name of Jesus to the world. You're forbidden to preach the resurrection anymore. You can go free, but you're forbidden to preach in the name of Jesus. And Peter, he replies, and he says, listen, we have to obey God rather than men. And Peter's like, I hear you, but I've seen too much. These miracles are real. I've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. I, I can't stop. I won't stop. And he's like, I'm going to remain respectful. And that's such a beautiful thing for us to learn. I can be respectful, but, but I'm not going to hold another name higher than the name of Jesus. I'm not going to do it. And, and then we see this audacious boldness in the face of opposition. And, and it's like, where did this come from? I mean, yes, filled with the Holy Spirit to the point where even the enemies can't deny it. Like, how does that happen? Because these guys, as they note, they're unschooled, ordinary men. They're uneducated. I mean, these are fishermen from Galilee. When Jesus called them to follow him, they had a fishing business with, with John's brother, James. Like, they were fishermen, good fishermen, but they were fishermen. Like, they hadn't gone to all the rabbinical schools. They, they weren't professional theologians. They didn't have all the esteemed letters behind their names. But nonetheless, these religious leaders who did, they marvel at how well these two Galilean fishermen successfully presented their case before this elite Jewish Supreme Court. They're perplexed, but they recognize something about them, just as Jesus had done on multiple occasions himself when he found himself in this sort of place, and they're so, so blown away, but they cannot deny this connection, but something was obvious, something was different about these clearance rack, 60-grit type guys 
These rough blue collar guys, but something is different. And the verse says that these men, these men had been with Jesus. That they recognized these men had been with Jesus and something was different about them and that must be it. That must be it. And church, let me ask, could, could there be a more powerful statement to ever be said about you or me? Like maybe, maybe you feel like you don't have all the right training or you didn't come from the right family. You don't have the right background or resources. You didn't have like access to this or that. But, but when you're obedient and live in step with the Holy Spirit, people get this sense about you that, that you know God and you've been with Jesus and you're exercising the power of Jesus in your life. And I want that to be said about you and me, about our church, that there's a noticeable difference and the difference is Jesus. And so listen, I want to wrap up with the close of this story and a time for us to respond the same way that these guys go on to. You see, once Peter and John, they're set free, that they kind of go back. I imagine they're with this dude and they're probably like skipping and jumping. I mean, they're going back, they're exercising this newfound gift that he has, right? And they go back to the believers and they share and, 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 and they're, they're, they're sharing their testimony. Like, guys, we were there. Like, this is what happened. And Jesus said this would happen. And it's happening, and they're they're sharing all this prophecy. It's being fulfilled, and we see what happens is that that we're kind of presented with the blueprint for gospel explosion in the face of opposition. That we see this in Acts chapter 4, that they realize all these things were happening around them, and so they pray, and they pray, and they recognize things are happening, and then they get to this point, verse 29 of Acts 4. They say, now, Lord, consider their threats. Like they're saying, we know we're, we're wading into dangerous territory. We know that it's hard. We know that persecution looms. And they're saying it awaits for us. If we continue on this path, we know what happened to Jesus. But if we continue in the name of Jesus, we, we can expect what will likely happen to us as well. And they say, they say, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Friends, we have to see that they didn't pray for safety from persecution. They prayed for boldness to spread the gospel through persecution. They prayed for boldness in spite of the danger, in spite of the chaos that they turned their attention outside the gate, so to speak, for the good of others, to welcome them into the family of God. And what I find interesting is that when we go back, the word that Peter used to describe the saving grace of salvation, this Greek word sozo, it kind of represents this complete healing. It's, it's a form of the same verb used to describe the healing of the crippled man himself. As if to say that not only was Jesus the source of physical healing, but he is also the only source of complete, whole, and spiritual healing as well. And so our response today is very, very simple. That that this week, our response is to boldly pray in the name of Jesus for someone else. Like on behalf of, in their corner, going to bat for, as an advocate, when they can't stand, you stand in the gap because we see them do this. And listen, we've been talking a lot about reclaiming prayer. And on the second Thursday of each month, Northeast covers the entire day, 24 hours, every moment of the day in prayer. 
If you're interested in being part of that, you can go to ncclex.org slash prayer, and we'd love for you to sign up and to continue to be a part of that. I love it, and that's at least what I tell myself at 2.45 a.m. on the second Thursday each month, and I'm glad we did it, but I really do. But listen, as we pray out, we pray for our city, that's so important. We're going to continue to do that, but today it's a little bit, a little bit more personal to boldly pray in the name of Jesus for someone on their behalf. And so I invite us this morning to pray for healing in any form, physical, mental, emotional, relational, spiritual. Being reminded that Jesus is not limited by our expectations. We can't just look at our past experience and say, well, I would expect Jesus to do this because that's all I've ever seen. No, that, that will keep us sitting outside the gate because he's not limited by our expectations. And so in just a moment, our band's gonna lead us in a song called Too Good to Not Believe. And as a church family, we're gonna declare just that because, because it is. It's too good to not believe. And during this song, wherever you're at, I want to invite you to go to bat for someone in your life in the name of Jesus. That that, 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 that challenge is for everyone. And yes, you can absolutely pray right where you're at. If you're tuning in online, you pray right there, right where you're at or anywhere in this room. But I want you to know, I want you to to be welcomed and have permission that we have a prayer team who would love to do this with you. We have men and women who would love to to hit the deck with you in the name of Jesus on behalf of someone in your life. And so I wanna invite you to be bold and to come forward during this next song for someone else. And listen, I'll, I'll tell you that what's been on my heart lately, and many of you might be familiar, but as we move into this time, there, there's a name, it's not the name of all names, but a name that's on my heart that, that I'm hitting the mat for. In just a moment, this is who I'm gonna be praying for. There's, there's a nine-year-old boy, part of our church named Mason. Many of you know the Whittingtons, you know Scott and Amy, you know their family, but but, but just before Christmas, Mason was having flu-like symptoms and he went in for, uh, to, to the doctor and they're trying to figure this out, but, but one test led to another and it led to another, which brought more questions. And then, and, and then they, they, they end up at UK Children's Hospital and, and Mason, sometime after Christmas, that following week, he leaves with the diagnosis of leukemia. Childhood cancer. The fourth grader. And listen, Amy, Scott, if you're tuning in, we are with you. Mason, we are with you. We're in your corner. And church, that's what it's about, about going to bat. And I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. They have some, some test results coming up this week. And I'm praying that the healer moves in the way that only the healer can. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, that Mason will be made well that he will be completely healed. And so I wanna encourage you, go to bat for someone today. And, and finally, know this, that the reality is some of you are the people we need to go to bat for, that you need prayer. You're in a good spot. You're in a great spot, and you're just now kind of realizing that you've actually been the subject of other people's prayers. And, and some of you, you, you may just now be realizing your need for Jesus. You thought you needed more money. It was Jesus all along. It was, it was Jesus. And like the beggar, like the beggar, it's time for you to, to lean into that faith and, and to, to, be, to be helped and to be raised up and to use the gift that he's pouring out on you. 
And so if that's you, you've never trusted in Jesus and submitted to him as Lord and Savior. You need to submit to him and trust him for some sort of healing in your life. I invite you to be bold and meet us down front. We could look at this and be like, man, only jacked up people come down here. No, only jacked up people are here. Every single one of us need Jesus. And so church, we're going to sing this song, Too Good to Not Believe. And we're going to pray in the name of Jesus. And I invite you to do so with me. If you would, stand up. And let's worship the name above all names.